want to go to there. Snipe! Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes. Thirty Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of flying, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, put hearts, get Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kulsik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, we've been discussing in the podcast the last few weeks your progress with your marathon training. You hit a significant milestone this week that I understand you just went out and did because that's how you roll and some of us are concerned you're going to kill yourself, but <laughs> you don't seem to share that. Would you like to share your, your, your progress with our listeners? Uh, sure. So uh, in case you're anyone at home is thinking of running a marathon or training for a marathon, this is how you don't do it. Um, the last several weeks, the, the the furthest I'd run was about 10 miles. And uh, n- knowing full well that I'm running this, th- this marathon in uh, now three weekends, and I hadn't done more than a half, I went out for a run uh, two nights ago. And I thought, oh, let's let's push it a little bit. Let's Let's see if I can't at least do the half again. And then at, at about, mm, I want to say, eight or nine miles in, I was feeling pretty good. I was like, screw it. Let's go for 20. 20 is about what you should do uh, at least once before you do the, the full marathon length so that you feel like you can, you know, do the whole thing. But you shouldn't actually run the length of a marathon before a marathon because that's dumb. That's what the marathon's for. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's dumb. Anyway, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I uh, did 20 miles in three and a half hours. Uh, at night, which was also fun because I ended up on this long stretch of road with no real sidewalk and like dodging roadkill and stuff. But that was fun. Anyway, um, yeah. So I did that, and I actually feel pretty good, which is great. Well, and it's a, it's a when I did my first marathon, it's just such an incredible accomplishment. Like the second marathon was actually the training stuff was much harder for me than it was the first time because the first time you get that wonderful sense of holy crap, I actually did it because you don't know you're discovering new things that you can do that you didn't necessarily know that you could um so while it's also you know you're destroying your body there's also a really positive aspect to it as well so i'm glad that you got your 20 miler in um i'm glad that you're not dead because like simon is has been saying gentle listeners do not follow his training plan it is oh it's awful it's terrible and you still need to carry freaking water when you go for a 20 mile run Listeners, he doesn't carry water even on a 20-mile run. I didn't know it was going to be a 20-miler until I started it. Anyways, that's <laughs> we'll continue this discussion off mic. But uh, I, think it's, I think that's great. And so now you can just relax. You can taper. You should still do, you know, like a 15 maybe this week and like a – or maybe a 12 this week and then an 8 next week and then like three, yeah. you know, like – but it's it's nice to be able to go into the marathon – Knowing that you've did done that. 20. So now you just need to do like an hour more. Hopefully less than an hour, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that would be nice. It would be nice to do four and a half hours. I don't think it's going to happen, but it would be nice. Hey, I, I have I have every confidence, sir. So uh, you'll, again, we'll, we'll continue to keep uh, keep you all posted, listeners, about about Simon's marathon process. But, but uh, I, I hope you all know it's possible to watch insane amounts of television and still... And still... 
and manage still run. to do that. Yeah, it's it's it can it can happen. Um, if I can be an inspiration to anyone, it would be a first. <laughs> this week on the podcast, uh, we're talking the American season three with Matt Brendan from IndieWire's Thompson and Hollywood blog, and he also, of course, covered the Americans for Slant this season. That's coming at the end of the podcast. Um, I think we have one or two more season spotlights planned. Um, but this is one of our last ones for a while. Yeah. And this was, if you watch the Americans, I think you're going to really, really enjoy this segment. We had a blast with that one. It was so much fun. Um, speaking of, we should also mention a couple weeks ago, we talked with Jennifer K. Armstrong about Seinfeld because she's fabulous and it's fabulous. And, uh, she had said in that segment that she was expecting there to be news about Seinfeld, uh, being available streaming pretty soon. And then lo and behold, this week they made a ridiculous deal with Hulu. I think it's like a million per episode or something. Um, but what that means for us is that you can now watch or, or shortly watch all of Seinfeld on Hulu. Yes. Uh, at least if you're in the States. Yes. Very exciting. Do you anticipate a, an, uh, a resurgence of interest in Seinfeld? Yes. I think that's the whole point, isn't it? I would hope so. I just, I, I, when certain shows have come out on, on Netflix, all of a sudden there's been like, uh, lots of think pieces and like, these are the 10 best episodes and like lots of really strong reaction. The, I, I was seeing just lots of yay to this, but not, you know, people reexamining and putting on their critic hat or like their fanboy hat or girl hat. Um, so I'm, I'm just hoping that maybe there's more of that to come once it actually, ro you know, rolls out. Uh, yes, I'm sure it will happen. Um, also of note in our correspondence with all y'all this week, um, we heard from Behammer 100 at the website um, who says, uh, I never had a problem with loose ends of the season finale of The Americans. More on that at the end of the show this week, Behammer. Um, he says, I feel like, uh, or she says, I feel like the Americans are starting to tell its long-term story and we're getting to the end. You guys need to do a longer podcast for Justified. You didn't get a chance to talk about so many things. <laughs> I, I, I love the, the notion of us doing longer podcasts. Yeah, well, we love the notion of talking for longer about Justified. Um, I realized as I was uh, posting the podcast that we didn't mention the music at all. And I'm a musician. And you've studied music as well and have a very strong background in that. Uh, so we fail. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't room for everything. Um, but yeah, it, that was a pretty glaring omission. And we, we, did, we definitely could have, should have at least ranked the, the versions of You'll Never Leave Harlan Alive. The correct um, answer is Patty Loveless. Uh, most likely, yes. I haven't done a re-listen, but I'm sure you're right. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's so much more we could have talked about, but, uh, I think the, the overriding feeling is one of, this is now a TV landscape with no justified in it, which feels like a poorer one. Yes. Um, so if you guys go to the website and the post for last week's episode, you can see some of B Hammer's picks for uh, favorite episodes and characters and, uh, and dialogue as well. Um, thank you for, for leaving some, you know, leaving your thoughts and some excellent picks, I gotta say, for episodes and characters and all of that. Um, also, we should mention, just because I sort of loved that this was my uh, morning, was it last Monday or Tuesday, uh, where we had a lengthy chat with several of our buddies on Twitter about peeing on the screen in 15, um, which is now out of the bag. Anybody who's not listening to the podcast, I don't know if they were aware, but at this point, I feel like they should be, because we spent a lot of time talking about TV penises this week. And I missed a chance to hashtag the whole conversation morning wood. Damn it! Oh. Oh, well. 
Well, uh, Outlander last week was our third. Uh, Pete on the screen in 15. We had a, two instances of looking previously. And this is, was also a good reminder that uh, we need to check out Banana and Cucumber, which is uh, Russell T. Davies' new show that is airing over here on, I don't remember the, the channel. I want to say some, like a smaller network, like something like a, like Logo or Pivot or something like that. It's not Pivot, but I, I can't remember the actual network. Have, have you heard about the show? I have, and it's associated web series, uh, Tofu, I believe it's called. Um, yeah, the whole project sounds uh, really interesting to me, but I haven't watched uh, one iota of it. And uh, yes, apparently uh, one, of, one of the major powers currently of peeing on the screen in 15. Yes, so expect a little bit more from that when we once we get a chance. And given um, that we're finally getting some more finales without a whole new swath of premieres, maybe that time will come in the next few weeks. But we should get into our week in TV because there's a lot of TV to talk about. Um, so now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our week in comedy. comedy we're going to talk a little bit or i should say simon's going to talk a little bit about the last man on earth finale screw the moon um then we'll talk jane the virgin chapter 20 children's hospital up at five inside amy schumer cool with it the comedian celebrity guest silicon valley the lady veep tehran and we'll end with oh louis uh bobby's house um but first let's kick things off with last man on earth i stopped watching around episode eight seven eight something like that uh because i just couldn't I just, I just couldn't. couldn't deal with the Phil Millerness anymore. No, I couldn't. You know, just I didn't need that in my life, uh, given how much really great TV was going on. Um, was that based on this finale? Was that a solid choice, or should I dive back in? Um, I don't know. I, there are things in the finale that I liked, uh, and things that I think are have been endemic of what the show has been. Uh. Ever since, I don't know, episode two, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, that show that the, that, that the pilot was, this sort of weirdly sad, uh, ambitious uh, take on, like, genre comedy, that show's never coming back. That show never really existed. Um, and it, it was almost cruel to give us a glimpse of that show, but I guess it's time to forget that that show existed. Uh, there have been a couple of people who wrote sort of defenses of the show uh, for what it is. Uh, even claiming it, I, I, I sort of, I, I was beginning to entertain this idea in my brain around the midway point of the show that it was sort of a sly, 
um, attack on male privilege, or especially, particularly white male privilege, uh, especially when the Boris Kajo Phil Miller shows up and takes over as Phil Miller, uh, while Phil becomes Tandy. Um, I mean, th- th- that reading definitely exists, but I think the issue is that the show is so one note so much of the time that it doesn't matter, <laughs> or at least it, it doesn't uh, doesn't override it enough to become an enjoyable thing to watch, I think, for most of us. Uh, the finale doesn't really undo any of that nastiness. Uh, it does theoretically hit, hit the reset button on much of the show. I'll be, uh, I'll be vaguely curious when it comes back, as it's already been renewed, to see who is and is not part of the cast. I'm hoping, frankly, that most of them aren't, because it seems like they turn the page on, uh, on Tucson, and I'm fine with that. Uh, I don't really see them needing to, to rehash a lot of that, as much as it was nice to see for instance, January Jones play a regular person. Uh, the tag with Jason Sudeikis was not that intriguing to me, uh, but I guess eh, it. I, I guess there are interesting things they could do with it. Mostly, I don't really know what the vision for this show is uh, going forward, but I'm hoping that it can find something a little bit less limited than uh, than sort of where it ended up by the even the midway point of the season. Anyway, Last Man on Earth. You perplexed us. <laughs> well, it is coming back for season two. Will you be back? I'll have to wait and see what I hear first, I think. Because other, other people always see things before I do. Very true. Let's move on to Jane the Virgin Chapter 20. We're getting towards the end of the season here. and We get a bold move for the show. I don't think I believe them. Um, but we get Jane saying at the end of the episode she's going to fight for sole custody of her baby, of her and Raph's baby, do you think there's any way the show will commit to this in any meaningful manner? Um, or does it feel, and and if not, does it feel like a cheat or does it feel like a cheat ploy? Because I feel like this is such a bold move. It's going to be hard for them to, to make it, to make it work. I don't know, man. This is the point in the show where, I feel as though the the plot points that I've always taken issue with, but I haven't really minded because they've been so in the background, uh, sort of finally rear their ugly head and have actual consequences. And that's when we get to the part of the show I don't like, um, in which, you know, we have characters who we, I think we, we all want the characters to all like each other because the show is at, is at its best when it's at its most genial and this point of the show is the show at its least genial when you have characters literally facing off in a wrestling match, um, complete with those. I'm sorry, I hated those those splash images of you know the with, with with each character getting like a wrestling name. Kind of funny the first time, but then we get it like three or four times, and I really didn't need it. Maybe it's just because I don't care about wrestling, but I don't know. That was just way too far down the gimmick hole for me. I, personally, I would be much happier if they didn't. Uh, do if they didn't follow this for all that long, because I don't necessarily want to see the characters at each other's throats uh, for, for for all that long. We know that, that that the characters all had good reasons for what they did, except for, you know, obviously Petra's mom, because she's awful. Um, and it's it feels like a chore to watch, uh, to wait for the, for the characters to develop that understanding of each other that we know that they're eventually going to have. At least it does for me. Yeah, I can see what you're saying with that. I liked the wrestling stuff. I thought it was fun. And um, Jane deciding, no, I don't need this in my life. And I certainly don't want Petra 
given what she's done, I mean, yeah, yes, as as viewers, we understand the character and and her very understandable, uh, very reasonable motivations for what she's done. But that doesn't mean that Jane should want her anywhere near her child. I mean, I I, I thought it was great to see her finally um, just put her foot down. I don't know that I buy Raph trusting Petra over Jane's abuela's memory like he does in the end of this episode where she hands him these documents like this is someone who got married to you with an assumed name like i why would you believe anything that she's saying when you've also met jane and she jane and her family are like the most honest people in the world i was having some trouble with that there was a, it was a bit too contrived for me um, but I will say no matter what else, you know, in this episode, I like the wrestling stuff. I get if you, I get that it's not really your thing, but this is, you know, it might not be one of the best episodes of the season, but it has one of the most affecting and most powerful moments when we get Jane talking about how she's a single mom and she didn't, you know, that, that brief scene with her and her abuela was, I just, just destroyed me. That was a great scene in the middle of what was, for me, an otherwise pretty disheartening episode. Uh, I, I don't know, disheartening's a little strong. There was still a lot of good stuff, but I really am not a fan of this direction they're taking. And I'm hoping that it's not this. I mean, there's only a couple episodes left in the season, uh, so I guess we'll see what happens. But I, I just, I really hope the season doesn't end in acrimony with everyone and sort of, sort of leaning into the more uh the more over the top soapy we need we need conflict for this show to work kind of idea which the show has always sort of quietly refuted and now seems to be leaning into yeah i just i feel like as much as i do enjoy the character and the performance i think actually that actress has done a really good job making petra um at all likable in a time when she for the first half of the show she really shouldn't have been even a little bit and, and gotten some good comedy especially physical comedy out of the character they they just at this point I feel like they need to write her off or need to do something completely different because like she, it doesn't make sense for her to be there without it doesn't make sense for her and Jane to both be there and every time you have you know like Raph siding with her at all it just feels like a betrayal of the, that character and just I, I I feel like it's gonna take a lot for me to not see her as a um a dead end for the show yes that that's a nice way of putting it um yeah anyway so hopefully jane can not do that for the next couple of weeks <laughs> well we're i mean i think we can give the the writers a little uh leeway here they only have a couple episodes left this season so we'll see how they end the season but for right now let's move on to children's hospital up at five uh, i gotta say i am obsessed with constance Wu in this episode what did you think? Uh, this was great. I mean, I don't know how much vapid morning programming you've seen. Uh, I haven't seen that much, but I've seen enough to know that uh, it's 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 such a ripe uh, a ripe area for parody that I haven't seen too many people go to. Like, it seems like there's there's so much uh, sort of parodying of nightly news that no one ever really gets around to the fact that morning shows are insane. Uh, and just this, the notion of, you know, of, of you know, I mean, the episode's called Up at Five. These, these people who see, who are like bright eyed and bushy tailed and ready to, to have the most meaningless interviews in television history at like 530 in the morning. 
uh, it really is insane when you start to parse it out. And I think that this 11 minutes really, really took advantage of that. Um, I, 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 if, if there was a part in the show's behind the scenes continuity where the original Cordry died and was replaced with a twin, I must have missed it. So, oh yeah, uh, yeah, that, that's the thing that happened. Yeah, I, I, I either knew and forgot or never knew. So that was a that was a delightful new twist for me. Uh, I always love the, the behind the scenes episodes, uh, espe- especially uh, I think one of the best recurring gags, literally of the decade, uh, is whenever they bring Malin Ackerman on. Oh, yeah. uh, to not know a word of English and then be told you're beautiful, you know that, <laughs> just beautiful. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that never. They literally ne- they never modulate or change the joke in any way, and it still kills every time. Her performance is always fantastic. Um, whenever that comes up, I like how she's you know also just giving very straightforward answers, and they're just like, "You're just a creature. You're just a gorgeous, beautiful creature from another planet called Scandinavia." <laughs> Uh, anyway, that and Constance Wu, I, I, I look forward to her. I, I assume this is the beginning of the Constance Wu takeover and I'm totally fine with it. Yeah. Uh, also Bill Dwyer. We like Bill Dwyer. Dwyer. He's good here as the, the, the co-host, even if maybe Wu gets more of our attention, but, uh, yeah, it was a fun episode of children's, um, also a fun episode of inside Amy Schumer. Cool with it. Uh, we used our favorite song of the week. I think we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit uh, as the lead into this segment. We we really enjoyed the first uh, premiere, the se- last week's premiere of Inside Amy Schumer. We're going to like the one that's airing tonight as we record this even more. Um, is the, Aside from You Don't Need No Makeup, which was uh, fabulous, or Girl You Don't Need Makeup, I should say, um, what else stood out for you in this episode? Let me see. Uh, the the actual, the, the titular sketch um the uh, i'm calling it um was really odd that turn at the end with uh where it becomes like a, an advocacy spoof of some kind uh, that didn't really work for me but i appreciated that it at least did something weird because it already driven its central concept literally into the ground uh what, what was the other we had uh, uh the 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 girl a woman who's supporting her her loser rapper boyfriend oh right yes uh the the sketch that i re- i really can't, still can't decide if it worked or not was the uh the the one with the the woman whose whose husband uh not just beatboxes but sort of body raps uh that was so hideous that it kind of worked uh but it was also really long yeah, yeah, it went on a bit, a bit longer. Um, the the sketch that is more grown on me, though, as as I've seen it pop up in ads, is Plain Jane with Dennis Quaid, and just like down to the the Miami Vice logo, and uh, Dennis Quaid is going to pop up in the next episode. With there's a little reference to this sketch there. I would like to see Plain Jane become a recurring bit for them on the show. I think that there's still more they could do with it. Um, but yeah, I, I that, that was one that I didn't expect. Like when I first watched it, I was like, yeah, it's fine. Um, but over the past like couple weeks, it's really grown on me quite a bit. Yeah. That's probably the, the second highlight after girl, you don't need no makeup, which, uh, there's sort of a, uh, there's a certain old man satisfaction in not knowing that it was meant as a direct one direction reference. Having never heard a One Direction song in my life, I I never would have figured that out. 
I, I've now I've crossed the Rubicon. I'm no longer relevant, and I'm okay with this. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, aside from just the song being really fun, um, and, and I I'm familiar with the song that it's directly parodying as well, so that may, might help. Um. I really liked what was going on on Twitter with Amy Schumer. Um. Sending having people send pictures of themselves without makeup, and it yeah, really, that was nice. It you know it's just it's a thing that. I don't know how, how aware guys are of this element to women's daily life where depending on how you view the world and how you, um, like what kind of job you have or that, you know, how you were raised, the notion of letting people see your face without having spent at least 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour putting paint all over it so that you'll hide any potential flaw. Like the notion that someone would actually just see your face and that's acceptable is foreign that we're, we're told that if if you look tired or if you ha- you know, like you need to freshen up you need to have you know mascara just like a couple touches of this because your face as is as it is is just hideous why would you think it was acceptable to go to a business meeting without having spent an hour making up your face and that's something that guys just don't ever have to deal with so um it's such a simple joke but i do think it actually it's really um i've been thinking about that over the past few years and how, and how women are expected to present themselves in the world and what is considered professional and what is considered, you know, acceptable. Like, can you imagine guys having to show up to a business meeting and if they weren't wearing some bronzer, it would, they would be considered unprofessional. I mean, mm-hmm. it's crazy to think about. So I, I like any time that these details are, or these, these issues in our society and these um, really ridiculous, at least as far as I'm concerned, um, standards that are completely accepted at face value, not, not even examined, come up in popular culture. So basically, that's a long way of saying, you go, Amy Schumer. Yeah, I'm still caught on the bit where uh, there was a, a bit of comedy based around a pop song that you've heard and I haven't. <laughs> I have I have students that are, most of my students are middle school and high school aged. Um, ah. And so I'm very familiar with One Direction, that's how I know pop uh, pop culture and pop music specifically. Is every now and again I let them pick a song they want to learn, which is why I have that One Direction song memorized, uh, even though I don't want to. So, <laughs> so you have violin charts for yeah. for One Direction. Yes, I do. I, that I have transcribed nice. from the original audio. Yeah. Wow. Yep, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dedicated you know. teacher, yes. Um, let's move on to our other musical episode of the week, and that's the Comedian Celebrity Guest, which obviously the big name here is Mel Brooks because he's, I mean, come on, Mel Brooks. But I also, I really liked I Kind of Want to Kiss an Old Man. So when when the timing of this, uh, these two episodes, a- Amy Schumer and the Comedians, just happened to be the same week, I was a little disappointed because I was like, ah, I was planning on using both of those songs to be lead-ins to the comedy segment. Uh, what did you think of, of uh, Lopez and Anderson, Lopez showing up for this episode, as well as, of course, Mr. Mel Brooks? I don't know. I wasn't that impressed with the song. It kind of feels like something that Lopez and Anderson Lopez uh, would have, I don't know, come up with in an a, in, in a stray afternoon, uh, both in terms of melody and lyrics. Uh, I mean, it was fine, but didn't didn't knock my socks off, especially when they built up to it for the entire episode. Uh, I don't know. My big takeaway from this episode, honestly, is that Mel Brooks still makes amazing cat sounds. <laughs> yeah, Seriously. That, yeah. They were really good. Very, very good. Um, I also just like the recurring gag of the poor writers 
who are led to believe that they will be writing for Mel Brooks and it's like a shining moment of their careers that they will, you know, Mel Brooks is going to say their words and then it just gets so casually tossed away. Um, that It's a familiar beat. We've certainly seen the um, underappreciated and overworked writer and all of these shows within a shows, but there's a specificity to that that I particularly enjoyed. Yeah, that was all right. Uh, I can't say I laughed at anything, really, though, except for Mel Brooks's cat sounds. Can I just say again, they were really good cat sounds? <laughs> yeah, that, that, fair enough, fair enough. They were very good cat sounds. Moving on to Silicon Valley, what did you think of our cyborg and, you know, his lack of humanity this week? When they first introduced the cyborg, I thought they were going to be uh, poking fun at... Uh, the sort of the body modification scene, which I was like, ah, I don't know if they really need to be doing this. But then when it when it became clear that it was just a guy with a pacemaker trying to hop onto the bandwagon of the body modification scene, I thought that was a way better way to go with that joke. Yeah, I liked the performance. Um, that was pretty fun. But and, and again, to not have that be the joke, but to have it just be a catalyst for this larger conflict with Richard and Ehrlich. Uh, I thought that worked. And instead to have the main new character not be the cyborg, but be this Carla uh, uh, character that so long, so long overdue to have a female coder in the, on their team in the company. Um, I don't know that I'm thrilled that she's so clearly in the mold of other TV coders that I'm sure are, I'm sure that's an accurate depiction of a common female coder but it would be nice to see a slightly different take on uh, you know for the their first female coder they're going to make a significant character that being said she's very funny the actress is very talented and i'm just relieved to have a slight change in the makeup of the company well when you say she's in the style of other female coders on tv like who are, are do you mean literally stylistically in terms of well, her presentation yeah, well, it just you know the 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 short hair with the the bright blue color. She's very much in like the kind of quasi punk or that kind of look. She's you know she she reminds me of Cameron from Halt and Catch Fire. She reminds me of other like not there aren't that many women coders on TV, but in film there have been more. Um, so like she just sort of feels like that type. Fair enough. I, I do I do worry that if they had gone maybe another way with it and had her look more like, uh, you know, the other female lead on the show, people would have been like, she doesn't look like a coder. So it's like, eh, I kind of feel like they, it was kind of maybe kind of a rock and hard play situation. I do like the way that they, they lead into the meta aspect of, we have a lady on the show now. The episode's <laughs> called The Lady. Uh, mm -hmm. And the, almost the entire episode is about, should we bring a woman on just to have a woman on uh but but she's the best for a lady or like or the best but it and a lady which is a plus yeah yeah <laughs> which i if if you're gonna i mean everyone knows that she, it's it's very clear that this character has been brought in to write a wrong with the show and the show knows it and the show knows that you know it and i appreciated the honesty of having that be a discussion on the show and making a joke out of it, especially at the expense of Zach Woods, who is has been so, so great this season. Absolutely. Um, and having her so 
instantly uh, slip into the dynamic of the cast, having her just immediately start screwing with Dinesh and Guilfoyle. Uh, that that works really well. I like that they she's not like some strange unicorn, but she's someone that they actively pursue and that they had already met, already had an established rapport with. Um, so that also theoretically precludes the the sort of anticipated oh let's try to hit on the the new hot chick who's also a coder so I, I like that it, they don't seem to be going that way at all which is a relief but um but no like you said they hang a giant very funny lampshade on on it and I think that was a good move yes any other thoughts on this episode uh no uh, I I I I liked the limited use of Hanneman in it though um. Mm-hmm. I didn't really need the joke with his vapid foreign wife who doesn't understand English. Ha! Huh? Uh, we don't. That 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 didn't really do so much for me. But it uh, kind other than of that, counters all of the really great gender stuff happening at Pied Piper. Yeah, I know it's more about him than her, really. But still. Eh. Anyway, if, if you're gonna have Hanneman involved, I think one scene per episode is probably the right amount. Yep, I would concur with that. Let's move on to Veep Tehran, which is an episode I, my review's up at the AV Club. I liked it uh, quite a bun, uh, quite a bit. Uh, I didn't love it the way that many of the commenters seem to have. I like that the show is really, at least they seem to be making Selena an effective president, at least internationally. Uh, she's only been president for three episodes, but she's already forging international peace deals. And I mean, I don't really buy that as someone who's theoretically going to be out of office in eight months, she has any amount of, you know, clout to make anything happen and to get international leaders to, you know, take her seriously. But if they're going to do that, this is a really interesting way to do, to, to do it. I like what we get with Jonah, that like the, the arc of this season with, with Teddy molesting Jonah has just been so wonderfully handled. Uh, what stood out to you <laughs> handled. this week? Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> not intentional uh, my bad uh, um i thought it was a fun episode the, the stuff with um with mike and gary getting stuck in tehran uh was more sticky than i would have liked um mm-hmm. and I, I don't know that did, didn't really get me if only because like i know you're not really in tehran <laughs> like, like i don't know why i couldn't like suspend my disbelief for that but it was just one step too far i don't know why that's probably my problem uh but i love the use of dan as antagonist, as uh, as I sort of inadvertently predicted, I guess last week, uh, I like that they that they've stuck to that, and uh, also that that great beat with uh, with him and and uh, and Anna Slumsky of of her, her thinking that finally he's going to make a move. Nah, no, he's just still being his his own Dan Dickish self. Yeah, poor Dan does not know what he what he missed opportunity that that he missed because it wouldn't even just occur to him because he's so self so self-involved he can't see her as a person as opposed to just you know a way to get access to stuff um but no, i like their dynamic here i like that we get to see um her have someone that she can talk to who isn't within the administration so therefore isn't causing her all these problems and isn't directly in competition for her job or you know so like they have a different rapport now that i think could be interesting um yeah and i like that you know watching her anna slomsky uh as amy watching her performance as amy slowly loses her mind this season has been delightful and so when she's like talking about um she feels like she's in life support and they're keep unplugging the machines to charge their phones. It was just such a great, such a great line delivered. So well, I like when she's finally, she walks 
Um, she walks Kent backwards into the hall. Uh, we learn he doesn't actually walk backwards, which is fun. Um, but I like that she, when she's actually assertive with with the other members of the team, they listen to her. But the fact that she can't, she's so out of the loop that they do not include her in these conversations that she needs to be included in means that she can't possibly succeed in her role. And uh, so I'm, I'm for, I'm predicting we're going to get a kind of like Dan had that epic meltdown in the UK last season. I feel like there's gotta be something like that coming for, for Amy because she can't possibly keep dealing with all of this shit that's getting dumped on her week after week. I'd forgotten about Dan's meltdown. That was delightful. Uh, yeah, that definitely, especially with the arrival of uh, of this new female character, um, Karen Collins. Her specialty is common sense. Yeah, um, so that is not going to end well. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, an enjoyable episode. I don't think it was like a season highlight or anything, uh, but definitely fun. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts? You're good, right? Yeah, I'm looking forward to Lennon Parham being on the show. Big fan of playing House. Um, so I yeah that. I'm looking forward to to what that Karen character is going to bring to the mix next week. But for now, let's move on to Louie, Bobby's house. And this, we were anticipating this being the episode that launched a thousand think pieces, but it launched like two and a couple reviews. Yeah. Well, here's, here's my theory. uh, Because when it, when it came time for me to finally sit down and write about this episode, I didn't have as much time as I thought I would. Um, And I, I watched it three times in preparation for writing about it, because I knew that I would have to. Uh, or at least I felt that I would have to. And when it came down to it, I ultimately sort of kept it simple and and didn't sort of spin off into a million theories or a million ideas like I thought I could. And like I totally could have if I had had the willingness. But uh, I guess I guess we can do that a little bit here. Uh, the... I mean, let's just get right to the, to the scene, I guess. <laughs> I, um this this sequence of pamela and louis uh and pamela revealing this fantasy to louis and then just sort of and and him going with it i mean <laughs> there are so many individual parts of that sequence that deserve parsing but i mean how how was your feeling watching it just that first time um i was just sort of going with the the flow of it not really sure where it was headed, but I thought that it was well done, and I thought it was very interesting. And it's been very interesting to, for me to see the different responses. There weren't that many, but to, you know, for example, Steppenwall had a, had a response up at at uh, Hitfix, and Sonia Soraya wrote up a very interesting piece at Salon. Um, but yeah, the some people thought of it as a violation. Some people thought of it as something that Louis was very accepting of and into. Um, and I thought that was one of the most fascinating aspects of the episode because Seppenwall saw a very different scene. At least it felt, it seems like Seppenwall saw a very different scene than, than Sonia saw. And they each saw quite a bit different than I did. Um, so yes, this notion of, you know, the show's comfort playing with masculinity and femininity and when is one being uh, criticized or praised or, uh, you know, is is it a violation? Is 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 Louis is is her dumping Louis after they've shared this? You know, this sexual fantasy of Pamela's is that him being used and betrayed? Is that is that you know a the right thing for 
um, Pamela, is that the right move? Because again, Pamela is just has reinforced for her that she and Louis want such different things. Like people were seeing very different things in this episode. And I think that's one of the most interesting and um, thought provoking aspects of it. Right. Uh, for my money, I mean, I don't, I don't see it as, uh, as a violation necessarily what happens, uh, to Louis. I mean, he, he, uh, he seems pretty willing. I mean, you use the term go with the flow. He seems to be pretty willing for whatever it is that Pamela's up for because he's in love with her and has made mm -hmm. that very clear. And if, if she wants to go somewhere, uh, he's a little reluctant, obviously at first, cause it's, if he, if here's his comfort zone, this is way the hell over there. Uh, I'm pointing at the other corner of the, of the globe, um, but ultimately he loves her, and and if this is if this is a long held fantasy of hers, he wants to make it real, uh, even if it does involve the name Jorinath, uh, um, which is awesome. <laughs> which is uh, it reminded me of uh, of of the name Jizanthopus from his stand up, um, but um, but yeah, he trusts her, and I think that, and he feels safe with her, and that right. is a very important aspect to that to that scene to that uh that role play right uh and i mean obviously the moment of contention would be the moment of penetration which i love the way that louis shoots it we really don't know exactly mm -hmm. what's happening in that shot but we know that louis is clearly not expecting it but we also know that after the fact he's not angry he's mm -hmm. not upset with her at all he just thinks well that was intimate um and then you could, you, I guess, you could fault him for it. He sort of tries to capitalize on it, yeah, uh, and say like, although it's, although I think fairly, where you know he feels as though this is a this is a level of intimacy he maybe hasn't had with anyone, um, and and I do think that there is sort of a betrayal, but only in the sense of, uh, of Pamela sort of redrawing a familiar line in the sand or, or retreating in a familiar way that feels very true to the character, where. Mm -hmm she realizes that she has i think she knows he's right in the sense of like yes this is new and and close and bye just like yeah nope, and that's is... scary yeah um, exactly yeah and and the episode doesn't feel the need to highlight that aspect of her um decision making process in that moment you know it 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 lets you know she puts up the same response of that's not what I'm looking for. That's not what, what, you know, you know, that's not, I thought we could just be this level, but you want this other level. Um, and so like, they don't show her like looking off to the side and biting her lip and feeling, you know, insecure about having shown this new, deeper side to herself, this fantasy, this thing that she's held theoretically very close and not shown anyone else before. They don't show her feeling vulnerable at all, but that doesn't mean that that's not motivating her, pro her, you know, her actions in this episode. And I think, um, I think it's easy to overlook that and just look at her breaking up with him as wholly callous and, um, when, when in fact it is likely much more complicated than that. Yeah. If, if I, I tried to sort of boil down the episode to one idea, which I don't know if, if it worked or if you can, but to me it, it's, it's about, uh, what lies beyond emasculation uh, this this idea that you know like Louis gets be gets his ass kicked by a lady, uh, and everyone thinks it's funny, and he tries to find something about it other than what's funny. Uh, you mm. know, he, he when he when he tells his girls about, it, he's like, look, I he he wants to turn it into, uh, you know, women are strong, moment. like, 
uh, he, he wants to teach it, turn it into a teachable moment. He wants it to talk to them about the strength of women and, and how gender roles are fucked up. And instead, they just find it funny because it is um, mm-hmm. or because they think it is. And he can't get seem to get past that with anyone, including his brother at the end of the episode. Um, and uh, so, so he, he sort of tries to find something other than than the norm and kind of fails. And then when he's with Pamela, they also sort of find something outside the norm and then that seemingly kind of fails as well, and uh, or or does and then or doesn't and then does. Uh, I don't know. And that the sort of that sort of testing those limits without, uh, uh, without sort of the expected, uh, the 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 expected gag or the the expected outcome. I think is 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 more or less the point of the episode if there is one. Well, and again, it doesn't feel like there is a a mission statement that CK is trying to get across. Yeah, there's no he, moral to this episode. <laughs> and that's maybe why we don't haven't seen the number of think pieces that that we were expecting that I know friend of the show Ryan McGee was tweeting about expecting um right after he watched that episode and you know some of our contributors as well were expecting after having seen this episode um back when FX first sent us the screeners um because it prompts thought and it's the kind of episode that you can have an hour long kind of musing conversation over kind of like going back and forth and thinking about different aspects of it, but it doesn't have answers. And I respect it all the more for not trying to present an answer to gender in, in our society. Um, it's much, much more interesting than that. And so I tip, tip of the hat, tip of the hat, Lucy K for Bobby. Uh, and I don't really know how or if the opening with Bobby really plays into this. To me, it, it tied in more with the openings of the other episodes rather than what followed. But I will give it points for he fought in Vietnam and then they came here. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, yes, I, I'm I'm ex- now that we've run out of screeners. I'm very, very curious to see what the second half of the season has to offer. Definitely. Well, what wins your week in comedy? Uh, whether or not it wins as comedy, I don't know, but I will give it to Louie because that was, uh, easily the most sort of fascinating episode of the season so far. Yeah, I, I will give it to Louie as well. It was very interesting, very well, well written, performed shot, and, uh, certainly gave me plenty to think about. I mean, we've been thinking about it for the past, like, month. Month, yes. Uh, so, yeah, they've... Also, in it, not, not totally relevant, but... I'm fascinated in the fact that of of all the recent Louis Pamela episodes, this is the only one for which Pamela Adlin does not get a story credit. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So all CK, <laughs> all CK all the time. Okay, well now we'll take a, a break and come back with our week in genre and drama. This is Major Tom to ground control 
This week in genre and drama, we're going to talk a little bit about the Penny Dreadful premiere Fresh Hell, now that you've got, all had a chance to see it. We can do some spoilers. Um, then we'll talk Orphan Black, Formalized, Complex, and Costly, Outlander, The Watch, The Good Wife, Don't Fail, and Mad Men, Lost Horizon. We should also mention up here at the top that, Simon, this week you are our guest on the Sound on Sight Game of Thrones podcast to talk about Sons of the Harpy. So we won't be talking about that here because there's a whole separate podcast about it. Yeah, and I apologize in advance for the puns. I don't know what what got into me. <laughs> Low blood sugar, maybe. It, it, it's a good time. You all should check that out. It should be up in your feed. Um, probably by the time this is out, you should it should already be there. If not, um, then later today. Um, but plenty dreadful. We've already discussed the premiere uh, when Showtime first put it out a couple weeks ago. But we just we had a couple thoughts that were more spoilery in nature, so we wanted to hold off on them until y'all had had a chance to actually watch the premiere um so what what were your more specific thoughts simon of fresh hell do you remember proteus i miss proteus i miss proteus so much (laughs) i that was one of the other sort of discussions i had on twitter this week when i just sort of blurted that out uh it was really cool when they killed proteus because that was a great moment but uh you know what would have been cooler would have been having proteus as the guy and having a little bit of light to sort of balance out all the dark broodingness. Instead, we double down on the dark broodingness with uh, with with the monster. Nothing against Rory Kinnear. I, I know he's a good actor. I've seen him be good in stuff. Uh, but I don't want to be thinking about Meatloaf every single time he comes on screen. Yeah, uh, people like Caliban. Like, they actively are interested really do. and engage that character. And I don't, I just don't get it. Because they're watching a different show than I am. Because he's a completely uninteresting character to me. Yeah, and um, they, I think the, the the plot line that will either save or sink the season for me is going to be whatever they do with Billy Piper after she wakes up in this episode. Uh, I I need her to get up and kick his ass, or or at least be like, nope, run, bye. Yeah, Just, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go find Josh Hartnett and hole up somewhere. Uh, which I think is probably honestly what's going to happen, but I, I, I need them to do something more than uh, than a typical Bride of Frankenstein setup, because they've made a pretty typical Frankenstein setup with him, uh, albeit with a little bit more self-awareness and a little bit more uh, sort of, you know, br- bringing out these elements of, uh, of, of period society that you don't necessarily see depicted, which is great, like the Waxworks, for instance. Uh, the Waxworks is cool, uh, but it feels a lot like the uh, Grand, Wing- Grand Wignol all over again. Yeah, and the other thing I'll say about this is Ava Green is fantastic. We all love Ava Green, obviously. I feel like that's, you know, a statement that really doesn't need to get um, reiterated. However, based on what I'm going to say next, I want to make sure you all know that I know that Ava Green is great. They need to give her something else to do, and I know that is not what they want to do, and that is not what anybody else who I know who's watching Penny Dreadful (laughs) wants them to do. Because right now... uh, even just in this one episode, I was like, oh, it's that Ava Green's doing that Miss Ives thing that she spent the second half of last season doing that, again, I, I'm over it. It's like, oh, look, she's contorting herself and she's growling about things and she's wrestling with this demonic force or whatever. It's like, okay, I get it. I've seen that. We've done that. This is just more of the same. And while having a, a direct uh, antagonist for her and uh, Helen Corey, I mean, I, th- I think that's great, but... The, 
I need more. I need something that that by itself is just watching her flail around after a while. And I know they're not going to kill her off. I know if they might, she might get possessed for a while, but then she'll win her claw her way back to in, individuality. And will it have been worth it? And should she just die? Like I've seen this beat a bajillion times before in other genre material. And while Ava Green is fantastic, that on itself, her performance alone is not enough for me to enjoy that corner of the show. And so I don't care about Caliban at all. And unless they start shading or adding nuance to Ives as a character, she, I feel like she doesn't have any dimension at all. People talk about this great performance from Eva Green, but I feel like there's three beats she's playing, and we've seen them all before. Uh, well, I think the other problem is that uh, the witches, um, first of all, they're dangerously close to, like, they're, they seem to be very, very close to me to pass. To, like, this is not a novel depiction of witches we're getting here, I yeah. don't think, uh, at least not based on this episode. And they don't inspire the kind of dread that I think they're supposed to. Like, like we, like, like any supposed dread? To be like, well, yeah, like any dread. But more importantly, like, they don't, uh, people in this episode talk about, oh, this is a new threat that's even worse than the threat. But, like, really? Like, this is worse than that? Because this seems mm, maybe the same, maybe a little less scary. Uh, so they're going to really need to work overtime to convince me that this threat is more serious than the threat we got last season. Because that was pretty serious. Yeah. Well, and again, let's make let's make Vanessa a character. Let's give her moment. Like, I don't I don't want a bunch of Dorian Gray. Don't get me wrong. But getting to see her smile occasionally and have, you know, walk through the gardens and things like that makes the dramatic moments with the character much more effective if she's just you know, in a dark, gloomy room, snarling at invisible ghosts all the time, I very quickly don't care. Yep. But uh, those are, you know, and Billy Piper, like you said, they need to give her something to do stat. Otherwise, I'm just going to be offended on her behalf that they brought her in so that she could have her breasts fondled uh, and full frontal nudity and not talk for this episode. <laughs> so, yeah. Way to go, Penny Dreadful. Let's move on to our next episode, though, uh, which is Orphan Black, Formalized, Complex, and Costly. And another castor, a caster bites the dust, or does he? What do you think? Uh, I, I'm, I, honestly, they've already killed one of them, and Orphan Black is having so many problems this season that I would not be surprised to find out that, that, that he's still alive next week. Mm -hmm. uh, even though it defies all logic and reason, just just the fact that we didn't see it happen immediately, I go to my I go to my not even my critic brain, but just like my TV lizard brain of didn't see it, no body didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, it, if the opening shot of next week is a body, I'll be like, phew. Uh, yeah. That being said, uh, it's really early in the season to have a cog spinning episode or a table setting episode or whatever you want to call it, which this very much was, which is deeply troubling. Well, there's elements here that I thought were really good. Um, I liked that they actually, you know, remember that Beth existed and that they're, that, that the other characters, you know, Kasima and Allison were very close with Beth before the show started. Um, so I liked this little bit we get with art and like they bring her back up here. Um, it's a good touch of series memory. It feels a little out of the blue, but Hey, I'm glad that they, I like art. I'm glad that they're giving him something to do and involving him. Um, I absolutely agree. I need them to find Mark's body immediately at the start of the next episode. Um, because after the way that went down, he can't, I, no, he doesn't get to be alive next, next week. Um, 
the there's a lot in this episode that um I just really I'm not invested in this how has Orphan Black gone from a show that I love that I even when there are problems I can't get enough of the performances and 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 there are all these interesting things happening to one where I I almost dread having to write about it because I, I don't have anything new to say because they keep using the same kind of um, the same beats. I'm sorry. At a certain point, the fact that you share genetics with someone does not make them your brother. That does not make them your sister. That word has more meaning than that. It's not coding. Yeah. I mean, that whole idea of, of there are brothers and then big music cue and oh, like, oh, like that was your big twist for the episode. It's like, uh, uh... No, no, Felix. Felix is your brother. That's what a brother is. And for a show yeah. that started out with such a strong central bond between two adoptive siblings, to bring in like this notion that Sarah has and rightfully should have as close a connection to her clones that she's known for a few years, or not even, less than a year at this point, really, because Kira doesn't seem like she's that much older. Um, as she does to Felix, and now they're throwing Castor into the mix. I mean, that's, I'm sorry, that's not how family works. Um, and, and if there are other things about the show that I was more invested in that might, um, I might not be as distracted by that, but when they want me to care about these, uh, Castor clones because they happen to share genetics with, with, uh, the Lita clones, that, that does not work. The palette yeah, rebels. And- and uh, things are not more promising on the Allison front, I must say. No, they are certainly, certainly not. Um, I do like every, everything with Helena, though, I must say, when she's like, come on in here, Paul. Totally won't kill you. Um, <laughs> that's pretty great. As well as her just calling all the casters Mark. Oh, it's another Mark. I like the other Mark better. Uh, it's just like, Helena is just fabulous. Yes, uh, you, you chose correctly with your Halloween wear. Yes. Uh, so yeah, the, the the Helena corner of the show is great as much as uh, it would be nice if she weren't in prison for the millionth time uh, in like 32 episodes. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I really – and the show still has a villain problem. I do not care about this den mother figure for the, for the casters. I was really, like – I really don't care. I almost cared and then they had to end that scene – by having one of the casters sucking his thumb. And I was like, really? This is where we're going with this whole mother thing? That's great. Yeah. So, yeah. Orphan Black not looking great right now. Nope. Uh, let's move on to Outlander, the watch. Uh, we talked about spinning their wheels. This was a very wheel-spinny episode of Outlander. Even if I did really like, you know, a few of the scenes, like when we get, um, when we get Claire, you know, confessing that she... Uh, is concerned she'll never be able to have children with Jamie. Like, there's some some really good stuff there, but on the whole, this is a this could have been part one, part you know, act one of a different episode. Yeah. Also, I I I was really thinking, oh, this is going to be Outlander doing a childbirth episode. This is going to get really damn real, and it got like TV real. Well, I was glad that they didn't like as soon as they say the baby is breached. I'm like, well, who's dying? Because. Uh, I don't expect them to kill Jenny this quickly, but maybe the baby won't make it. Or maybe more... Ac- I, what I really started to expect was that Ian was going to die. Like, 
the miraculous childbirth Claire's amazing and they save the baby and the mom but then Ian dies because Jamie and his honor um so I was glad that we didn't get any of that but it just seemed like a long workaround to get us to Jamie's been kidnapped again or captured again yeah yeah I mean Outlander it's uh, it's it's a full hour show. It's 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 commercial free. So e- each episode's like around fifty six to fifty nine minutes or longer, and I felt every one of those minutes this week, which is not good. Um, no. Yeah, I, I I I really felt it. And the the the, the dudes in the in the guard were just so cartoonishly horrible. Uh, it it definitely like and the, I I think it's it's a bad sign when there's no narration. Um, like, I know that's a weird thing to say because narration is annoying, especially on Outlander, but when there's no, uh, when there's no grand plot beats happening and there's nothing to, 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 to philosophize, to, to philosophize over or to like give context to, it's a sign that nothing important is happening. Yeah. I would tweak that and say, um, the show shouldn't have narration, but this is a show that thinks it should. So when the show doesn't think an episode needs narration, then because they are, we would say, faulty in their read on that, that means that it's really an episode that's not of interest to us. Yeah, um, you you could, if you missed this episode, so it's like, oh, what happened? Uh, Redcoat's got him. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's about it. Um, hopefully, though, you know, we really liked, there was a lot to talk about last week, um, and hopefully this is just a little stopgap, little hic- hiccup, and we'll get back to uh, more action adventure and interesting things happening over on Outlander. But let's move swiftly on to The Good Wife. Don't fail. That's kind of how I feel about The Good Wife right now. Um, If we could just not fail our way to the season finale, (laughs) that would be great. Uh, Yeah, I mean, we've done plenty of complaining, so uh, everyone knows our deal. But uh, since since we've been ranting about it anyway, I'm just going to say it one last time. Uh, We finally get an Alicia Kalinda scene. Except we don't, because A, it's a flashback, and B, the most awkward use of, of POV shot counter shot in recent memory. These two people are clearly not talking to these two people. <laughs> I'm not even sure there was a stand-in for Juliana Margulies to even look at, because I did not believe that she was talking to a person, let alone uh, Kalinda, in that scene when we get shot, counter shot, shot. It just, it rang so hollow and so false, and took me immediately out of the episode. This is a King's Penned episode. Uh, it should not be doing this. And yet no. they're... I don't know why. Why do you bother with that scene? Do do they think people aren't going to notice? I think they do, especially when they reuse that shot of them drinking tequila from early in the se- series run. Um, I saw a couple people wondering on Twitter whether that was a new scene or an old scene, and that was... It's an old scene. I remembered it distinctly from when it... You know, because... Kalinda and Alicia drinking scenes used to be some of the best scenes on the show. It used to be, it was that relationship was one of the strongest parts of the series from it, you know, its early first season. So, uh, no, that's that's the kind of stuff that people like myself have been waiting for the show to do for fifty episodes before we realized that that was never <laughs> going to happen again. Um, so it just yeah. made that shout, you know, back and forth all the more awkward when it's just like, yeah, that's what it used to be, and this is how they decided to deal with. The ba- you know off-screen tensions, um, yeah, or whatever, or whatever. I I will give them credit though in this episode for very successfully de-aging um, Matt Zukri. So he just comb his hair forward a little bit, and uh, he looks just the same. Um, I I don't know that uh, I needed 
this episode as a whole, but it's nice to see Alicia figuring out what she's going to do. Um, I don't really, I'm not interested in her starting yet another law firm. Um, I'm hoping that we're going to get something else interesting, but I don't know. I what else could there be though? Is the thing like they, I mean, they, they're, uh, they're Lockhart, Agos and Lee now. They don't need Alicia around. Yeah. Um, This is why the whole election thing was a odd way to go as I'm, you know, I feel like I'm quoting myself from the last season finale when everybody else was so excited about the election and I was hesitant to say the least. I don't, I really feel like it has not panned out, but I, I'm hopeful that the right, the Kings can like, and their other writers can take the hiatus and come up with something more interesting next season. Let's just get out of this season as unscathed as possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the fact, and I, it almost feels like they know that because they quarantine the, the show down to Alicia, Grace, Carrie, and randos that's it like no other people appear like none of the other 50 people appear in this episode uh although you know who does appear is aya cash yeah um from you're the worst who we love uh honestly shoehorned into a role that i wasn't thrilled about um as younger alicia basically yeah uh it's nice in there's like a few seconds where she gets to be a competent lawyer but mostly she she seems to have been hired for her ability to uh just to, to do comedy pretty much which mm-hmm. she does and she's good but uh it would have been nice for her to get something a little bit meatier i always find it sad when like the leads on fx or like adult swim shows show up in bit parts on network shows like we know you can do better but anyway um always nice to see kurt fuller uh, it was also actually nice for them to do a case where the case was central mm-hmm. for the episode uh, I feel like we did, it's like the first time all season where that's happened and where the case was actually like quasi interesting. Yeah. With Aya Cash, I'm just hopeful that she's a figure who can recur over the next season and, you know, we can get to know her more and she'll get that. This means that she'll get more to do on the show because she clearly, like you said, she can do a lot more than this. So um, hopefully she'll get the opportunity uh, to show that. But yeah, Kurt, like you said, Kurt, Kurt Fuller, um, there's a lot of value added there. Um thanks to to his involvement and i like again the show doesn't answer if the guy did it the show just answers whether or not he says he did it and that's all that alicia needs at this point so we'll you know it gets thrown out it doesn't get solved there's no answer there's no resolution but it gets mm-hmm. thrown out and that's where alicia's at right now that's enough for her so uh, i guess we'll see so what do we th- yeah go ahead so do we think we're getting uh florak palmar Floric Palmar? Is Palm- that going to be a Palmar? thing? Flarmar? I, I don't know. Um, it's hard for me to... It, I'm torn. Because that could either be... Look at all this fun, uh, unresolved sexual tension, flirty case stuff, like they hint at at the end of this episode. Or a complete retread of stuff they've already done and I'm not interested. Um, and I don't know which way it would go. And I'm worried that the one would kind of kill the other. So I don't, I don't want Finn and Alicia to work together. (laughs) I like seeing them like together on their off time. You know, I feel like if they start spending too much time together, it's just going to kill the magic. Right. I will say that I have yet to hate a scene with Finn Palmer in it. That's very true. So, which is, which is really an accomplishment when you consider this season. Um, it, it helps that he has ducked some of the worst episodes. Uh, so I guess we have Downton Abbey to thank for that, um, but yeah, I don't know. I I I agree. We don't want to we don't want to strangle the golden goose. Yeah. Um, 
the golden goose being pin palmer um <laughs> yeah so yeah i think it was theoretically a better episode than we've gotten in recent in recent memory but it didn't feel like it for some reason. Maybe because we know the season ends and they're, and they're going to have to do make big moves and it's probably going to screw them up. Yeah. Yep. Um, let's move on. It's talking about season's ending. We get we, we have the anti-penultimate episode of Mad Men this Love week. Love that word. It's a good, it's a quality word. And that's Lost Horizon. Um, I, this could either go five minutes or ten minutes. And if it goes ten minutes, it'll just be me gushing over so many of the visuals and little character moments. I'm going to aim instead for five because the podcast has been super long the last few weeks. It'd be wonderful if we could be under two hours this week um, and say that I really like this episode. Um, and I really like where, where it looks like we're heading for the rest of the season. The notion of Don just being like, eh, fuck it. Peace out. It's kind of delightful. And um, while I, I so wanted to see Joan crusading feminist warrior, that doesn't necessarily feel right for the character. Um, so while it would have been so satisfying to see her victorious in some way over these assholes at McCann Erickson, um, I guess as long as we get another, like if we can get a scene with her and Don, like I just want her and Don to go off and be awesome together. Like at the end of the West wing, um, when CJ is trying to decide what to do next, uh, Charlie just says, whatever you're going to do, just take me with you because you're amazing. And I feel like you could probably save the... You're like a superhero. So if we can just go be amazing together off in the sunset, that would be cool. Um, and so that's kind of how I feel about... Because um, Peggy's going to be fine, I think. Um, that's how, sort of how I feel about Don and Joan. Um, I don't know. How do you feel about Don and Joan? Um, oh, and not Don, in a romantic you... context, by the way. Just like being awesome together. Uh, I don't think that's very likely to happen. It, we may get one more scene with them together, but I don't think the show thinks they have much of a connection. Yeah, no, I don't um, think we will either. I just want it to happen. <laughs> oh, I see. Um, honestly, uh, I'm not even sure if Diff Don's going to get back to New York before the show ends. Uh, this 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 really could have worked as a really low-key series finale. Like, oh, yeah, we said there were going to be seven more episodes. There's only going to be five. This is it. <laughs> Bye, guys. Uh, everyone would have been like, What? And it would have been the most quintessentially Mad Men thing ever to do. Uh, in fact, I think now that I've said it, they're going to be annoyed that they didn't do it. <laughs> um, there, I mean, obviously there would have been some payoffs missing, but I think it would have basically worked. Uh, everything with Peggy was delightful this week. Her uh, her re-entry. When, when, when I saw her in the glasses, I thought, oh, she's hungover. Ha ha ha. But no, she just, I mean, maybe she is. But uh, she's there mostly to look badass. And she does. And I have no concerns about what her place at uh, at McCann Erickson is going to be. She's clearly going to take over. Um, I would have liked for, for Stan to have been there at some point, but I guess we're going to get more with him later, I hope. Uh, also loved the stuff with Peggy and Roger, two characters who really haven't interacted a lot, which is commented on in the episode. And uh, just that whole sequence of her hearing the organ in the distance and wondering what the hell's going on sounded like a Wurlitzer to me, but maybe not. Uh, and then slowly realizing that it's just Roger drinking and playing an organ was one of my favorite scenes on the show in a very long time. Um, I also love the sequence of uh, of Don going out. Uh, it seems at first like he's like he's com like at least my thought was, oh, he's he's combining uh, research with stalking Diana. But no, he's just stalking Diana, uh, <laughs> which. Uh, and then the, the the reveal that the that the ex husband knows what's going on, and then well Jesus can help. Uh, all that stuff was great. Um, I it 
I would be I would be actually more surprised if we saw Elizabeth Reezer again than if we didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I I I I really enjoyed all those scenes. I I think taking uh just having having that sequence of, of Don uh, being in that meeting, realizing that they've taken what uh, what he used to think made made him special and quantified all of it uh, and churned it out from like the by basically an office monkey uh i i think had exactly the the effect that it should have and if he ever works in advertising again before the show's over i'll be surprised mm-hmm. yeah the yeah, that scene was really effective and him just staring at the window and um I, I also love them just sort of punking everybody who's obsessed with the notion of him falling as they yes. get the credits oh my god with the amazing. wind outside you can hear the wind outside the window Checking the and... window no the window isn't open um that was that was delightful but no that scene had just the effect it was supposed to and and i love that again this is there's still two more episodes it's not like there's one more and he just like makes this decision and now we're gonna see what he decides to do instead there's two full episodes um and you're right he could just have driven off into the sunset at the end and this had this be the end so uh, i think that's you know again the show's uh, zagging what people expect it to zig and i think it works really well everything with peggy is amazing this week you mentioned her you know just swagging the hell out of her entrance uh to mccann erickson but also roller skating through the lobby or whatever yes delightful and uh, and her just mentioning to to like the would you drink vermouth uh, yeah yes i think i would like like that whole dynamic with the two of them was <laughs> yes. fabulous um the only person i need her to have another scene with is um i don't even need her to have another scene with don i think I'm, they're in a good place the, play, the only person i want to see her have another scene with is stan i think um, yeah yeah uh, i also i i rather unexpectedly loved the reappearance of robert morris as well mm-hmm. um when he first came on the radio i thought oh they're really doing this huh and but the, actually, I thought his his uh, his apparition sequence was was quite lovely. And the last thing I want to mention about Mad Men is something I heard when uh, they were on the cast and Matt Weiner were on some sort of talk show, and uh, the host asked them um, how they reacted to uh, to the end of the show, and uh, and um, John Hamm said, well. Matt told me what was going to happen to to my character four years ago, so not a huge surprise to me. I was like, oh, <laughs> fascinating. Yeah. Anyway, so food for thought. Yeah, very interesting. I didn't know that, so huh. it's a good tease. Right? Yeah, yeah. I I think the only scenes with Don that I, I even need is, I, I think I need, do we need another Sally scene? I think we do. That was a good last Betty scene. Yeah, uh, that may be the last time we see Betty. It would be nice to think that her last moment on the show would be a happy one. A not destructive uh, they... one, yeah. Yeah, uh, but we'll, we'll see. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, um, it, it, I feel like it would be odd also if we didn't see Megan again, but uh, that may be the case. Who knows? Who knows? Well, um, let us know what you guys thought about this episode of Mammoth. It's definitely one of my favorites of this half season, um, and probably one of my favorites of the whole last basically the last two seasons um very well done and again so many like you said before we were recorded so many gifable moments i'm just gonna like watch peggy gifts just on on a loop today and be a happy kate um so what wins your week in genre and drama this like it's not even close it's mad men for me right same for you yeah it's it's gotta be mad men uh outlander orphan black you gotta start showing up boys yep 
Yep, definitely. Especially these next two weeks. Mad Men's not going to go down without a fight in its last two episodes. So True. we'll see what happens next week. But for now, a few show notes. You can leave us a comment at soundonsite.org where there will be a post-up for this episode. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes where we have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We very much would appreciate any ratings or reviews. In iTunes, it does help other people find the show. You can also like us on Facebook to follow the goings-on on Soundonsite TV and start up a conversation there. And of course, we're both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Simon, you are at sucker howl and what is our question of the week uh well next week is going to be too late so uh now is your chance to unload your wackadoo mad men theories for the finale uh i feel like if, if we wait till next week and there's only one episode left people are going to get too many clues they're going to get too clever but i think two weeks out is a good time to start bringing start wheeling them out Okay. I, the thing that I'll say is I think we're going to get several more Matt Winder screwing with the audience moments like we got this week. So, like, if there's, like, they've already had a mention of Manson, right? I feel like there's going to be some other things, like the popular theories about Mad Men people have been at, like, like D.B. Sweeney, right? D.B. Sweeney. There's de- I, I would be very surprised if there wasn't a D.B. Sweeney reference. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm looking forward to some more of that. that that'll be my... my guess i guess for the end do you think anybody's gonna die are we gonna get uh we... no roger's gonna die we've heard I've, i know some people are speculating they mentioned his heart this week no again it, again that that might be that might that you you could you you could have interpreted interpreted that as another form you know roger playing this funereal organ and then ha- mentioning his heart condition is maybe another low level form of screwing with the audience i don't think anybody's gonna die i think it's gonna it's gonna justify it and yeah. sort of and and do it low key where people might expect something more operatic. That being said, it did end with David Bowie this week, which was pretty operatic. Yeah, that was the music leading into the segment, and uh, that was a pretty fantastic way to go. The connection with Cooper and and then the the plane and everything that was a really nice touch. So yeah, I like you say, like you say, I expect them to justify it, and um, I look I'm looking forward to it. But let us know what you think, listeners, because I think. Because I think there's going to be some fun predictions happening over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but for now, we'll take a break and come back with Matt Brennan of IndieWire's Thompson on Hollywood blog and Slant to talk about another of our favorite shows and favorite recent seasons, of course, The Americans Season 3. So we'll be right back after this. We chose to do this. We chose to do this with our lives. You, me, Elizabeth, to, to live this way. Paige will have a choice. She is 14. She is not equipped to deal with this shit. This season on The Americans. I saw it on the news. Your people are good at this. We wouldn't be in this situation if I was handling Yusuf from the start. Don't blame me because you know things like this happen. That is exactly why I do not want Paige getting involved. They are hard to get. What are you doing? I lost that list of names once. I'm not blowing this chance. They should grab her, set up a roadblock, pull her over before it's too late. Something doesn't feel right. We're 
We're back with the Televerse, and this week it's another season spotlight. There's been a bunch of them recently because there's been a bunch of really interesting TV to talk about. Uh, this week we're looking at season three of The Americans, and here to help us with that is Matt Brennan, the TV critic uh, for IndieWire's Thompson on Hollywood, and of course you covered The Americans, season three for Slant. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Great. Thank you for having me. So now on the the podcast, we've been talking about the Americans every week. We talked about the Americans finale on last week's podcast. Um, spoiler alert, Matt. We really liked it. Um, so up at the top here, uh, we've already talked about the finale, but what did you think about the finale? I loved it. In a, in a season that was filled with strong episodes, I think it might have been the strongest, in, in part because I saw it as kind of a change-up pitch. Going into the finale after um, the, the, the sort of reveal with uh, Martha and Philip as Clark at the end of the penultimate episode, I really expected the episode to kind of focus even further on that plotline. And the fact that it sort of zigged where I expected it to zag uh, is exactly why I love The Americans. It's, it's never a show, despite having a lot of sort of familiar genre elements, it never actually exactly fulfills those in the way that you expect. Uh, and that's why it's so compelling to watch. Now, one of the complaints I've heard levied about the finale was that it doesn't actually resolve most things, which is actually one of the things that I really liked about it, uh, because they didn't, you know, they didn't get to the last episode of the season and say, well, let's put everything in a tidy bow because we have to because finale. Um, but I can understand people being frustrated with that element, um, even if I don't necessarily agree. Uh, what do you think about that, Matt? I find it a curious complaint. If you've now watched, what would it be, 36 episodes of The Americans, and you're surprised that it leaves things unresolved, um, because that, to me, is one of the core pleasures of the show, um, is that it it is a really um, kind of dark, uh, anti-heroic, intimate take on these elements that are maybe familiar from other quote-unquote prestige series, but the, the American sort of twists and turns, especially this season, which was so violent and so bleak. Uh, Emily Nussbaum had a great post about it uh, on the New Yorker's website about it. the show was already bleak, and this season got even bleaker. And so I felt like the lack of resolution in the finale was of a piece with the tone of the whole season. Well, and they, they're also just getting into more and more complicated issues. And so th there isn't a tidy answer for the kind of experience, like where where they're each at. There is no way for Paige to, you know, come to a point, like a, a pause point in her arc or Philip or Elizabeth right now. You know, this these these long term uh like operations that they're running with with Kimmy um, and with Martha and with these different people, they this is not like the the other seasons haven't dived into those as fully. They've been an important part of the show, but the the relationship between Philip and Elizabeth has always been like the most important thing. So that's what these the other finales have keyed into, especially the season one finale, but but even the season two finale. And so this season, when we've watched each of them more individually struggling with different aspects of their job, as well as being you know in such conflict about Paige. Um, it makes sense to me that we don't get this kind of conclusion, and especially if you look at it in the terms of 
what is potentially a five season arc or in some interviews I saw uh, Joe Iceberg saying maybe seven seasons. Um, this feels very much like a middle season. So I guess I'm just repeating myself now. Simon, do you have any thoughts on the, the lack of resolution in this finale and how that relates to the rest of the season or uh, potentially the series? Um, only that it was so funny to me to read uh, the interviews that Joe Weisberg and Joel Fields were doing immediately uh, after critics watched the finale because they were all exactly the same. <laughs> uh, and uh, it really it really illuminated the fact that uh, Weisberg in, in particular really does not seem to think like other showrunners do about uh, about the, the way plot functions. Uh, he seems to think more like a spy, uh, which kind of makes sense given his experience. But when he's talking about how um, you know viewers get get uh, annoyed or upset when when uh, when they take a few episodes not dealing with Kimmy or a few episodes not dealing with Martha, or a few episodes not dealing with um, with uh, uh, one, one operation or another. And he says, well, you know, that's that's being an agent. You know, there are operations that are percolating uh, at different times. Sometimes they're on the back burner. Sometimes, uh, sometimes they're your first priority. Uh, you know, he's still going to Kimmy's every week while this is happening. It's just there's nothing, there's no particularly interesting intel coming out of it. Um, and, you know, obviously... There, he hasn't been banging her, we hope. Um, but, um, and, you know, he, so he's thinking like, like a spy when when these plot developments are, are being sort of brought in and brought in and out of the fold. So to, to him, it's just it's just natural. And to viewers, it, it can be off putting. And uh, apparently to critics as well, Seppenwall especially really, really grilled him about the stuff that was uh, that was sort of missing in the last couple of episodes. Uh I would say that this season was different from the first two, uh, not just because it was uh, grimmer, which it definitely was, and I didn't think that was possible, um, but also be, like season two, I think one of the reasons people were, were kind of taken aback at the lack of resolution was because season two especially seemed to tell a, a, a fairly contained story, although with stuff running from the first season and implications to go forward with that sort of mystery of uh of of who killed the uh the other uh the other spies and their family uh and they, you know that was introduced and then resolved at the end and and it was all all it, it did kind of have a wrapped in a bow element and it was very satisfying uh that being said this sort of finale uh maybe is more even is more in keeping with the sort of open wound nature of this show well and one thing that i would add about the resolution question is that I'm at some level I'm not even necessarily sure if, if I agree with critics premise in the sense that the very final moments of the episode um, feature the evil empire speech from March 8 1983 which is the name of the episode and then a, a series of dissolves from um, Stan and Henry playing that football game, which I still don't really understand how that works, um, to, to Cage in a room on the phone with Pastor Tim, to Philip kind of staring off into the distance, clearly increasingly disturbed by the sort of moral compromises that he's had to make uh, in the course of his work. And then Elizabeth sort of returned to her um, position of kind of as the rock, uh, ideologically speaking. Uh, who's really concerned about watching the Reagan speech on TV. And the, the way that I thought of it is that that actually, all of that sort of combines to make the end of the finale 
feel very much like a good stopping point because they're opening up a new story for next season, both in terms of the family dynamics, where, where all these members of the family are now sort of deeply distant from each other, but also a new era in the Cold War. Um, you know, Reagan's rhetoric would, would ramp up from Evil Empire through the Star Wars program, and it wouldn't be until Gorbachev where you would start to see sort of like glimmers of the end of the Cold War. And my great dream, if I can beg the TV gods to give me this, I would love to see the Americans survive to get to the fall of the Berlin Wall. I think that would be like the, the most excellent conclusion to a TV series uh, that you could possibly have. What you're saying is you need you need some Hasselhoff in your American season finale. <laughs> I definitely need, did you say uh, seven seasons? It, I think if they kind of um, accelerate the, the amount of time that they cover in each season, I think they could, in four more seasons, they could probably get to the fall of 1989. Uh, and that would absolutely, I would, you know, bow down at that point. <laughs> I just... Just for the record, I see absolutely no way this show gets to seven seasons. I'm betting, I mean, the only reason the show even exists now still is, from what I can tell, is because John Landgraf loves the show and is willing to put up with abysmal ratings uh, to keep it going for, I, I would say, no more than five seasons. If, if, if it gets beyond that, it would have to get, like, a massive uptick in popularity, which I don't see happening. Yeah. yeah that's a pipe dream, but I... Um, I guess I'm I'm a big believer in the idea that if critics and and TV fans keep writing about it and talking about it, I know that I've convinced friends of mine who were who didn't really know about it or were suspect of it to try it out and get into it. And so if I can convince like two million more people to do that. <laughs> then <I know. laughs> Well, and who knows? Because I do think that despite the, the critics who watch The Americans love The Americans, but it still is not a show that is hugely discussed. It doesn't really have, at least maybe I'm following the wrong people, but it doesn't have a huge Twitter following the way that certain other shows do. Um, they'll the, the fans that exist for The Americans are diehards, but I think it would be really great if with with Breaking Bad now off the air and with Mad Men finishing up, if the Americans could assume the mantle of this is the great show on TV right now, that would be wonderful. But I, I, I'm worried that that won't actually happen. I feel like that would be the best bet for keeping the show very much in the, the popular uh, imagination or the pop culture discussion. Um, I just don't know that it will happen. Well, as, as, a, as a means of sort of segueing back into discussion of this season more specifically... I think one of the reasons that isn't happening, and uh, Sonia Soraya at Salon wrote, a, wrote an article about why she doesn't think it'll ever be sort of must-see TV uh, for herself or for other people. Um, she, uh, one of the reasons that I think it is um, is because there is no, uh, you know, with Mad Men and Breaking Bad especially, you had that sort of genius actor narrative where you had, uh, you know, the male lead who who made it a must watch. And Matt and um, the Americans doesn't really have that because uh, as much as I think this was the most sort of Philip centric season specifically, uh, the the Carrie Russell and Matthew Reese are really a double act and they rely on each other so much. Their their chemistry and their their emotional bond 
um, is is so powerful and, and is and is not uh, it's not the sort of we, we don't really give accolades for 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 uh, for acts like that. You know what I mean? It's not as easy to to write up a think piece, certainly, or or to just yeah. And that's a, I agree, but I it, it's a little annoying to me because oh yeah, absolutely. It, it's it, it's I should say more than a little because of course being my feminist self, I can't help but look at it through that lens and and say, yeah, people really did do love on these other shows to dismiss the female performers like Anna Gunn and and like the, you know, the January Jones and some of the other people on on Mad Men. They they love the notion of this big male lead, this, you know, great man, and the female leads are really considered secondary. I mean, that's incredibly aggravating to me. Um, but another thing I would point to is just that, you know, when you look at Mad Men and you look at Breaking Bad, those shows are really, really funny sometimes. That's one of the very few things that rarely seems to happen on the Americans. And I feel like maybe that's part of it as well. I didn't mean for this to turn into a conversation of why aren't more people watching the Americans, <laughs> but it kind of has. Do you have any, any thoughts on that, Matt? Well, it's interesting because when I... I read Sonia's piece, and I identify with that feeling of uh, the way that I would gloss it is, you know, admiring a show but not loving it. Um, and and Sonia's salon piece was about admiring but not loving or falling in love with the Americans. And I feel that way about Breaking Bad, which I know that's a, a, not a popular opinion. Um, but I do think it's what I think is telling is that I see pockets of critics who feel this way, you know, admire not love about the Americans, about Hannibal, about Mad Men. Um, but it's 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 kind of almost beyond the pale to say that about Breaking Bad or uh, The Wire or The Sopranos, if we're talking about sort of past television. And what I think it is telling of is a kind of um, internalized hierarchy of, you know, what makes for great television. And the Americans, in being focused on sort of both domestic and family issues, as well as the sort of spy narrative, in being very grim and not particularly funny, in being very much a more sort of ensemble show, and in not being showy about its style, though I think it's more stylish than people give the credit for, all of those things make it so that it, I think it falls too easily into our admire, not love category because it doesn't check all the boxes. But that's also why I would put it up there with uh, Mad Men as the, the best show currently on television. And I think when Mad Men is over, The Americans for me is the clear uh, is the clear choice. Yeah. Let's dive back in with some specifics on this season. Um, we, we talked briefly, season one really focused in on on the progression of Elizabeth and Paige Elizabeth and Philip's relationship last season like you said Simon had the bookends of the the murder uh, of the other agents their friends and this season has been very much about Paige but again lacks the resolution of of the previous seasons just because there isn't you know, she's she's still progressing. She's still coming to terms with the situation, uh, you know, that she finds herself in. How how is that through line of page worked for you guys this season? Uh, I I would just to that I would say I, I think Holly Taylor, uh, who who I recently learned is from Nova Scotia, so cool. Uh, I, I don't know why I, that was worth noting. Um, 
I think she's done a fantastic job. And moreover, like the Americans, I think has has been so lucky uh, with they really lucked out with those kids, uh, like her and and Kedrick Salati. Uh, I mean, obviously Henry hasn't had nearly as much to do, but um, the the balance between them, like that, especially in in uh, Stingers when she uh, when when um, Paige is is told the truth and <laughs> Henry is delivering Eddie Murphy routines which by the way was really funny um did, probably the only really funny moment this entire season to be honest um they they've really keyed into those actors and really given them both uh the appropriate things to do and uh Fields and Weisberg have talked about this in in very um vague terms um of how they've sort of crafted the narrative around these actors and I, they originally wanted to sort of buck the trend of focusing more on the on the teen daughter than the son which is what shows tend to do um but then they didn't <laughs> and i think what they're saying is um holly taylor is really really good and we and that's what we went with uh, but i think both they've they've done a great job of, of catering the, the, the role to both actors and not um not sort of um bobby drapering anyone yeah, Holly Taylor really impressed me too this season. In part because I think what she what she captures, um, you know, in in the scene in Stingers where, you know, what I, what I loved about it is I fully expected her to find out the truth about her parents this season, but I expected it to come in some kind of blaze of glory or she would stumble upon something and it would be this sort of big revelation, and the fact that it comes as part of, you know, like a nighttime kitchen confrontation that has a lot of the elements of any argument that a teenager would have with their parents about, you know, feeling neglected or feeling abandoned. And yet she learns the truth that way. And I thought that um, really showcased how, how deftly the show has, has been able to, to be about what is a, you know, a frankly pretty over-the-top premise about Russian spies posing as, you know, an American couple in the suburbs and having kids, but also making it very much a kind of universal story about how do you raise your kids? You know, who do you want your kids to be um, to grow up, you know, in your image? Do you want them to be like you? And what does all that mean? Well, and to also have... Philip and Elizabeth spend the entire season arguing about and worrying about this, um, about how and when and, you know, all of that. And then to have Paige just surprise them and force the issue, I thought was also just such a, a great choice and very, um, yeah, very appropriate to teenagers because sometimes you don't, you, oh, I feel like you never know what's really going on inside the head of a teenager. Uh, and, or you can't ever really be certain. And so to have her just figure out that something is wrong, not know what, but have it, have it come from her, have her push the issue and not have them gently reveal, you know, in these different ways, I thought was really great. One of the things that I think kind of plays into why Paige is such a rich character is that um, the Americans takes her, her belief, her faith, uh, and her, her participation in the church uh, very seriously. It doesn't turn it into a joke. It doesn't make her her faith into kind of a caricatured element. It seems very organic and 
it gives her a kind of connection and purpose that her relationship with her parents doesn't. Um, and um, a little bit like um, uh, Grace Florick on The Good Wife, it's interesting to me that shows are, are focusing on um, kids who are religious and parents who are atheists or irreligious or agnostic um, when you would think that, um, you know, it might be the reverse. Um, and I love that these shows try to take this idea seriously um, and that it often is, is used as a way of showing, um, you know, Paige or Grace looking for an outlet that they're not getting at home because of their parents' work lives. And these shows are all about sort of the work-life balance in the extreme. Now, do we uh, do we want or do we not want Pastor Tim to to be a spy? Because I, I I keep waiting for that reveal to happen. It's funny. I I actually someone commented on my um, on my finale recap on the slant with that theory, and it had never crossed my mind. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm just not that sharp. Uh, but I hope. I think narratively speaking, it they're almost going to be forced to to maybe make him Russian, right? Because so that so that he doesn't just turn them in. But I would love to see so she doesn't mention that they're spies in the phone call at the end of the finale. She only mentions that they're Russians. So I'm maybe hopeful that um, you know, next season kind of continues the the really tense relationship between Philip and Elizabeth and Pastor Tim without forcing him either to just immediately turn them in or um, and for them to maybe kill him or for him to be Russian. I hope they figure out a way to kind of play with that a little bit because I think that could be a really interesting subplot. Well, I don't know. Whenever I read other people talking about the Americans, uh, everyone always comes up with some new horrible possibility I hadn't considered. Like, uh, for instance, the idea that, that Paige might just go across the street and and uh, and talk to... Uh, and talk to Stan mm. without, you know, telling anyone else. And that would just set up a whole, I mean, that would be more of a season five or season seven thing, I guess, mm. but uh, that would be uniquely horrible. And there's all kinds of um, sort of twist the knife. Uh, I mean, there's no real plot developments that make the show uh, nicer. <laughs> uh, like I don't really see uh, any, any peaceful reconciliations between parties. Um, and I, I, I don't know what's going to happen with Pastor Tim, but I know that um, I know that the showrunners know and that they're quite delighted with what they're doing with it. But they obviously are not saying what it is. I just uh, I don't really enjoy Pastor Tim. I think they've done a good job of making me not like Pastor Tim, despite like I there's no I should like Pat, like what he's actually done. I should like him, but I'm just sort of irritated by him, much like Elizabeth and Philip are. Um, but. So in that case, it'd be, you know, a fun twist if he actually were, you know, a fellow agent who's working, you know, working angle on Paige. But I just don't know if Paige could take another betrayal like that. So I'm torn on the issue. And that really highlights for me this theme that's come up a little bit this season and spe specifically with the Lois Smith episode, which was just so great. That scene, those scenes with Elizabeth, uh, I, I really... Like and we with the the evil empire speech at the end of the season as well. This notion of are Philip and Elizabeth evil? Do are they 
bad people. Because even more than a show like The Sopranos, which gets you to like Tony Soprano, but is he's obviously a bad person. He's obviously, you know, he just goes around killing people. Philip and Elizabeth, I instinct, instinctually want to say, no, they're not bad people. They're doing bad things, but they're not bad people. But really, they are doing nothing that's worse or, or, or better, I should say, than Tony Soprano when he goes around just killing people. Because they also just go around killing people. Um, so I, I, the way that the show has taken off the blinders or taken away any leg I might have been standing on when I told myself that they were good people this season has been really um, very interesting to me and kind of leaves me a little bit at a loss uh, <laughs> about them. I think to me that maybe ties into the the conversation we were having earlier about admiring but not loving the show or the low ratings is increasingly Philip has an element of, of charm to him. Uh, and I think Matthew Reese does an amazing job of playing both, you know, Philip, the, the kind of, you know, suburban dad jokes kind of guy who like gets along with Stan and has pizza with him and goes to Est and all that. And also playing the kind of increasing doubts that Philip is having. Um, Elizabeth is quite, chilly just naturally and i think carrie russell does a great job of building emotion into her but her her sort of facade is not particularly friendly and so the show doesn't give you a ton of uh, personal ways to defend their actions so you can't it's not like a um you know uh a don draper or tony soprano where they have a particular allure that you can then say well, maybe I'll let that bad decision or bad action slide. And so this season, with between the breaking of the bones and the suitcase and <laughs> um, and the, the the man burning alive and uh, and then um, uh, do mail robot stream of electric sheep, which I for my money was the best episode of the season. The Elizabeth just watching that woman die. I do think that they're evil. But on the other hand, I don't think that the show makes them the only evil ones. Everyone on that show is making horrendous moral compromises in the service of a war that we, with the, um, with you know, the benefit of retrospect, know was about to end and also didn't serve any real purpose. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't argue with any of that. Um... The uh, I, I think an another sort of fascinating dimension uh, to you are they evil or not? Uh, should we care if they're evil? I think is has been the uh, the addition of of the Frank Langella character Gabriel, uh, who if if like I I think his uh, the addition of Gabriel to the show has been so interesting to me. First uh, first of all on a meta level because it's like ooh we're adding a movie star to the to the to the show although uh, obviously Frank Langella is a lot more than that um but the the way that they've uh the way that the show integrated uh Gabriel into the narrative was so natural and so low key and he's so believable as this sort of shepherd of spies uh that it never really occurred to me that he was sort of you know big big guest star and the fact that he they've confirmed he'll be back next season is is a of great relief to me but Gabriel has this, he's so soothing and so paternal 
and knows exactly what to say 99% of the time that you ne- that it, it, it often doesn't really occur to you that what you know he's he is he he is that way because he has to ush them into doing the worst things uh you know like like what Philip may have to do with Kimmy or what they're going to be doing to Paige uh you, that's you need someone like that with that sort of soothing presence um to uh to 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 get to get them to to push them that extra mile well, that's uh, it. so sorry, sorry go ahead uh so, so yeah i mean this this notion of of evil uh takes many forms on the americans well and that's interesting to me because i yes he's very soothing and he's presented such a in such a warm light and that when they first see him that first uh interaction between the three of them in the in this season is just wonderful especially after the tense relationship at best that they've had with claudia so to have such a completely different relationship at the start of the season here um, with their new handler or their old handler i thought was was fantastic but i just don't trust him at all i you know as soon as soon as he starts you know pushing some of these other issues as soon as he brings up um phillips or misha's son um i just can't trust him even a little bit. I, I constantly see the strings in the way that he's manipulating them. And it makes me just hate him. Great performance. Well, well-written character, interesting character, but that's fun to have such a different take on, on that, that the, the role that he plays in on the show. Uh, Matt, how about you? How do you feel about that character? I, I increasingly started to, I think mirror Phillips reactions to Gabriel over the course of the season. So at first I was like, like, I love when they play Scrabble together. I think it's such a great detail. Um, and But over the course of the season, I started to feel like Philip does, uh, which is stop meddling, uh, Gabriel. Like, stop, you know, let them, don't force them to make Paige like them because Paige still has a shot at a different outcome. Um, stepping back from it a little bit, I, I think what, a, what I really appreciate about it is is... Uh, as Simon was saying, Gabriel's kind of paternal, soothing affect um, plays into this this thing that the subplot about it was this dying mother brought up this season, which is that in the end, Philip and Elizabeth are essentially wards of the state. They their their sort of parents uh, is the Soviet government. Um, and because they had to abandon their actual birth family so early in service of this patriotic duty. Um, and I think that it, that does potentially leaven the moral compromises that Philip and Elizabeth make, because in some sense, you know, they were almost too young to agree to this kind of whole rest of your life, crazy commitment that they made, uh, Almost as though, you know, like, th- that's why they want to, I think, protect Paige from it, is they still see what they do as valuable, but they also realize that, you know, 14, 15, 17, 19 is too long to, is too young to ask someone to say, will you commit the entire rest of your life to this sort of abstract ideological cause? Well, and that scene in the finale with Paige and Elizabeth, where she says, would you let me go? I thought it was really very well done. I mean, such, I mean, I hadn't thought of that, but of, of course that's where Paige, you know, goes to. And of course that's how she sees this relationship with, 
with Elizabeth and her mother. And that's what, you know, pops up to her first is, I mean, I, she already feels abandoned by her parents. And then would her parents just give her up like that, the way that Elizabeth's gave her up and Phillips as well. Um, such a great thread to, to pull through and then to see how that shapes. That's why I'm not, I'm not sure what Elizabeth is thinking when she's watching Reagan because of, of, you know, seeing her mother and seeing Paige's reaction to this. And could your mother have loved you if she let you go or did she let you go because she loves you? And what would you do? And I mean, all of that, that has to be playing into her reaction to, to Reagan at the end. And I'm still not quite sure what I think she's thinking. Um, now we've gone long already, but we cannot end this segment without at least mentioning the amazing work of Alison Wright all season. She's not in the finale, but she, um, that, that last moment of hers in the, the penultimate episode is for me, one of the absolute best moments of the series, let alone the season. Um, do you guys have any other actors or moments or characters that you want to bring up before we run out of time? Uh, I, I would just say Ari Martha, um, they've done an amazing job of finding notes for her other, especially this season, other than just, oh, poor Martha, which I think we struggled to get out of for two full seasons. And then this year we finally, uh, through, through her finding out, they were able to, to just get to a whole new level with that character. Um, I think it's telling that we're 32 minutes into this recording, at least on my watch, uh, and no one has said the word Nina. I don't know if they've done a great job uh, integrating her scenes with the rest of the show. I think they've done the best job that they could. Um, and I really admire that they had the integrity to keep her in Russia for an entire season plus. Uh, that said, I'm hoping that they will tie her in uh, in a way that is a little bit more compelling next season. Yeah, I, I think that if I had to pick out maybe a, a flaw in the season, it would be in the subplot. Although I think um, the, with, toward the end, when she sort of gets closer to um, to Anton Baklanov, I think is his last name, um, the scientist who um, is sort of being forced to help uh, the Soviets copy this stealth aircraft program, Um and that last note that they strike in that subplot where he's kind of convincing her, um, I don't know if successfully yet, to, to resist um, as opposed to participate, to keep participating in the game. And so what I think is really an interesting possibility is that Stan is going to have to keep working with Oleg, one, in order to please the deputy attorney general uh, who kind of saves his skin in the finale. Um to try to save Nina, even as Nina potentially is, looks like she might go in a direction of not even trying to save herself. Cause if she doesn't get this information from, uh, or make Anton work, she won't secure her freedom. Um, and so I, I, I think that there are possibilities for that to develop in a way that brings it more into the core of, of the story. But yeah, I, I think it felt a little bit um, kind of peripheral. Yeah, like out in the, I just kind of, it was it was far away in every possible sense of the the word. Um, in terms of things that I loved, uh, a major shout out to Lois Smith, who as the as the guest star in uh, Dumail Robot's Dream of Electric Sheep, um, took um, a really difficult task, which is to um, 
you know, she's just sitting in a room. She's the central kind of dramatic arc of that episode. And she's really just telling the story of her life. Um, and, and she did that with such emotional power and, and also with such subtlety that it, um, that, re that episode really just floored me. I, well, and it totally gutted me too. I was like in, I was like a rag doll after watching that episode. <laughs> well, on that, uh, cheery note, cause there have been certainly plenty of moments over the, over the season that few as powerful as that one, um, Matt, but definitely this has been a season of powerful moments for the, uh, at least for me on the Americans. Um, we should, let's wrap up the conversation there and, um, we'll have to wait till next year to get more Americans, but at least we know it's coming back. I guess I'll, I'll end it on that note. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, uh, to talk to the Americans with us. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Uh, you can find me at uh, IndieWire's Thompson on Hollywood blog. I publish a TV column every Tuesday. Um, and you can catch my recaps of Orphan Black uh, currently at Slant Magazine. I'm on Twitter at TheFilmGoer. And, uh, again, thank you, Matt, so much for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. <laughs>